So I have a question I want to ask to all of you, um, and I'm, it's very, I'm going to be very interested to see if you can answer it. <clears throat> but the question I have is, are you a humble person? Are you a humble person? One more time. Are you a humble person? We live in a world where humility is a lost virtue. Uh, Society says that we aren't to be humble. We aren't to strive uh, for or toward humility, but we are to be confident. We are to be confident in the things that we do, but we aren't to be humble in the things that we do. But even in our confidence in the things that we do, uh, we are to show some sort of humility. And although arrogance is something that uh, is frowned upon by all of us, we don't like those who are arrogant. We don't like those who are boastful. Humility to many in the world is a sign of weakness. It's a sign of weakness nowadays for one to show humility, for one to show meekness. Uh, Nietzsche has said, uh, the, the trodden worm craw, uh, curls up. Uh, this testifies to its caution. It thus reduces its chances of being a trodden upon again. In the language of morality, this is humility. Despite what the world says, in regards to humility, um, the Bible doesn't shy away from how Christians are to conduct themselves and to strive to be united as one. The, the Bible has a, has, a, has a particular view of what it means to be humble, what it means for one who has uh, been bought by the blood of Christ, one who has been united to uh, the Spirit by faith. This one, this Christian, is to be humble. The answer that the Bible gives of how we are to conduct ourselves in this world and how the church is to be united as one is humility. We are to be humble. And saints, there is no clearer expression of this than Paul's letter to the Philippians. And a quick background to the letter. Paul uh, is currently in jail and this letter is a little different than the other letters that he has written, uh, specifically to the letter uh, to Corinth, the church in Corinth, um, and to the church in uh, Galatia. Uh, the ones that he, the letters that he writ, written to them were uh, more so a rebuke. Uh, he tells the, the the Galatian Christians that he's that he's shocked, that he's surprised, that they are turning from the gospel of grace and returning uh, turning from the gospel of grace and returning to a, a works based salvation. Uh, he tells the the Corinthian Christians that uh, they are to to uh, take out uh, and excommunicate one who is in their midst, who is sinning. Uh, so when we read the the right, the, the letter to the, the Corinthians and the letter to the Galatians, um, we aren't to think that uh, those those things are happening when Paul writes to the Philippians. The Philippians are ones who it seems are dry are thriving spiritually, uh, although it seems in Paul's letters that there is some external but also internal conflict that has arose that there is some there is some bickering in the church. Um, there is some fighting amongst members. Uh, they are doing well as far as 
uh, how they how they are compared to the other churches that Paul has written letters to. Uh, but there is some conflict inside the church. And the one conflict that seems to that seems to have arose in the church is their heart posture, is their attitude. And we will see in these uh, five verses in chapter two of Philippians that Paul addresses these Philippian hearts, these Christians hearts. And what he tells them is they are to be united as one. And the way that they are to be united as one is through humility. Humility is the means by which Christians show themselves to be Christians. But also humility is the means by which uh, churches are to be united as one. So this evening, saints, we want to examine the first five verses of Philippians chapter two. And we'll do that in three points. The first point is the motivation for spiritual unity, the motivation for spiritual unity. The second point, the marks of spiritual unity. And the third, the means of spiritual unity. So the motivation, the marks and the means of spiritual unity. And if you can, may you please stand for the reading of God's word in Philippians chapter two. And we've already done this morning, Philippians six through eleven. And we've seen uh, this wonderful, as many would call it, a hymn to Christ as to God, this this wonderful Christological passage. And now we will examine the first five verses of Philippians chapter two. The word of the Lord says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verse five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Saints, that is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. So let's look at the first point, and that is the motivation for spiritual unity. The motivation for spiritual unity. Um, Paul says in verse one, if you look, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. And when we read these opening verses, we read, so if there is any, your Bible might read that. So if there is any and saints, this is better translated as sense. So if you're reading the Bible, if you're reading Philippians chapter two, verse one, and it's a uh, and if you're following along, which you should be, um, replace the word so with sense, since it is true, since you have encouragement in Christ, since you have comfort from love, since you have participation in the spirit, since you have affection and sympathy. That is what Paul is saying in the first verse of chapter two, since you have encouragement in Christ, since you have been given great love from Christ, since you have been given the Holy Spirit, since these are yours, act like it. Since these are your things, Philippian Christians, and thereby 
us Christians act like it. Act like you have encouragement in Christ. Act like you have great love from Christ. Act like you have been given the Holy Spirit. And notice that Paul doesn't give any commands or threats here, but rather he appeals to Christ and the Holy Spirit to inspire the saints to unity. Since you have encouragement, comfort, uh, fellowship, tenderness and compassion because of your union with Christ, then act like Christ. Act like one who has all of the riches in Christ. Since you have encouragement in Christ, then encourage others. Since you have encouragement in Christ, then you are to encourage others. You see, saints, we are to be marked as uh, those of the faith who are great encouragers. We are to be marked as great encouragers to other believers. We are to strive to lift up, to exhort, and to motivate those of the same faith. We aren't to gossip. We aren't to ignore. We aren't to battle. We aren't to debate. Although I think there are times when we can have healthy debates, but we aren't to have negative debates. We are to inspire. We are to encourage. We should have healthy gossip. If anything, we aren't to battle those whom are of like mind, of like faith. And saints, that encouragement first starts with attending church. That's the first encouragement that we can begin with. We encourage others by simply our presence at church. I mean, if you think about it, when others see us and when you see others at church and when you know that they, that person that you see has a lot on their plate, they're going through uh, uh, many things in their lives. Uh, they might going, be going through uh, a time of, of suffering and a time of, of sin. But when you see them at church, that should be great encouragement for you. Great encouragement for you. You see, saints, when I see you at church, you might not know it, but you're preaching to my soul. You're, pre- you're, you're preaching to, to my heart. When I see others at church, when I see you at church, it, it tells me to, to keep pursuing Christ, to, to, keep, uh, 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 to keep going in this race of ours, to finish the race. When we see others, it's a great encouragement. And some of, and some of you, saints, uh, uh, rely on others to be here. You know, uh, Domingo relies on Mary to be here. You know, Senia relies on Betty to be here. You know, even if we never talk to each other, and I'm not saying you guys don't talk to each other, but even if we never speak to each other, we rely on each other to be there. Because that's of great encouragement for us. We say to ourselves, if, if he or she, in spite of what he or she are going through, can still make it to church, then I need to be there. Then I need to be in church in light of what they're going through. And it seems when we see those people whom we know are going through stuff, and when we see them at church, uh, don't your problems become a little bit smaller? Don't, you, don't your problems become a little bit more thin when you see those at church? So we are to press toward the mark and we are to to be united as one and we are to have this motivation to be united as one uh, and we are to encourage each other. And one of the ways we encourage each other, saints, is by coming to church. We should be encouraged much. We have been encouraged much by Christ, saints. And because we have been encouraged much by Christ, then shouldn't that tell you that we should turn around and encourage 
others. Because Christ and him alone, we have encouragement. We should turn around and encourage our fellow brother and sister of the faith. The text also says, since we have comfort in love, Christ uh, has loved us much. Uh, This morning's sermon was a great illustration of how much Christ loves his church. What he has went through uh, in order to show his love for you. Christ has loved us much. We have a love in Christ that will never fade or be taken away. It will never be heightened by any act of ours or lessened by anything in us. God's love for us, Christ's love for us is immutable. It's impassable. And since we have such a great love, saints, Paul is exhorting these Christians to show that same unconditional love towards fellow Christians. We hear that all the time, that we are to love other Christians, but it's so hard to do, is it not? It's so hard to do, is it not? But saints, the basis of our love for Christ, or our love for Christians, is Jesus Christ. We aren't to be selfish with our love. You know, we oftentimes, when we think about Christ and his love for us, we speak of his great love for us and becoming incarnate, uh, living for us, dying for us, rising for us. And we amen all of that. We amen the, the, the selflessness of Christ and his love for his elect. But saints, we don't amen when we say we are to love others the way Christ has loved us. We aren't to be selfish with our love because Christ has not been selfish with his love. We are to love others the way Christ has loved us. And you see, saints, in order for us to build unity in the body, we are to love one another. We aren't simply to be cordial toward one another. We aren't simply to be nice to one another, which we are to be, but we are to love each other. If you truly love Christ, saints, if you truly profess Christ and his unconditional love toward you, then you must love Christ's people. You can't love Christ without loving Christ's people. We are to show that we are loved by God, by the way that we have love for God's people. And saints, we are to be Christ-like. We are to model our Christ, who was the supreme exemplar of how we are to, to conduct ourselves as Christians. Christ loves sinners, saints. Christ came down to save sinners. And in light of that, we have to ask, how much more should we love our fellow saint? If Christ loves sinners in this way, then how much more should we love the saints of Christ? And since Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, then we ought to not act like we haven't been given much. We have been given much by Christ, and we aren't to act like we haven't been given much at all. He's given us his spirit in order that we may encourage and love others the way Christ has commanded us to encourage and love others others. You see, saints, Paul is not saying that we are to act like Sunday Christians only. We aren't to act like Sunday Christians only. And then throughout the rest of the week, act like whoever we want. We aren't to put on Christ Sunday and then put on the devil Monday. We are to act like Christ Sunday to Sunday. We are to be like him in every area. And one of the ways we show that is by our love for one another. What does Christ say to his disciples? That the world would know that you are my disciples by the way you love for one another. The way you love others is the way we show that we are of the faith. 
You see, saints, we are to be Christians of great integrity. We are to know that we are in Christ. We are in union with him. Thereby, therefore, we should walk like him. We are to display Christ in our lives. And one of the ways we can draw our unbelieving family and friends to hear the gospel of Christ is how we act around them. One of the ways you can show uh, and one of the ways you can testify and witness to your unbelieving friends and family uh, is by how you act around them, how you talk, the language you use, the conversations you bring up. When there's a conflict that has arose, the way you're patient, the way you're kind, the way you're, the way you're slow to speak, quick to listen. That is how you show that you are of the faith. That is how you show others that you are of the faith, saints. So Paul here is exhorting these Philippian Christians to strive for unity within the church. You see, saints, it all starts with the church. It all starts with unity within the church. And Christ and Paul appeals to Christ as the motivating factor, which should motivate us all saints. Our motivation for love and encouragement, for sympathy toward others, for mercy toward others, for grace toward others is Jesus Christ. Because Christ has done this for me, I need to act like him. I want to be like Christ. I want to love the way he has loved and and show mercy the way he shows mercy and encourage the way he encouraged our motivation to love and encourage and sympathize and and comfort should always, saints, be inward and not outward. Our our motivation should always be inward and not outward. It should not it should not be uh, uh, you should not be uh, loving toward your uh, fellow brother and sister. You should not show comfort to your fellow brother and sister or show encouragement to your brother, your fellow brother and sister. So they can see what you are doing. And that's it. So they can say, well, look what Pastor Isaiah is doing. Look at the love that he has. That should not be your motivation for for being like Christ. There is to be an internal motivation is to be internally desired and not externally compelled. And yes, right now I'm compelling you to to encourage and love and, and, and do all those things. But this should be already in your heart. This should be your heartbeat to to love your fellow brother and sister of the faith because Christ has loved you much. And notice that Paul doesn't give a list of duties for them to perform. He doesn't say uh, do X, Y and Z, but rather first exhorts them to check their heart. Yes, he does tell them to to love and to and, and because you have shown compassion and because you've shown mercy and sympathy and comfort and all those things, then you are to act like Christ. But first, he checks their heart. He says, check your heart, Philippian Christians. And I'm asking you of Reformation Bible Church, check your heart. Where is your heart at? Do you have a heart for your fellow brother and sister of the faith? And if not, then you might have to ask yourself, are you really of the faith? Because those of the faith strive to help those, encourage those and love those of the faith. Saints, we must first check our heart. We must first check our attitude because attitude always precedes action. Attitude always precedes action. And if it does not precede action, then you're doing things because or you're doing things out of a out of a heart that's not fully pure, not fully in it. 
We want to do things out of a pure heart, saints. We must always check our, our motives, our actions, our attitudes, and our heart. So let's move on to our second point, which is the marks of spiritual unity. We have the motivation for spiritual unity, which is that we have been given much from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that God has blessed us with all the heavenly riches. Uh, and in light of that, we are to we are to do the same to others. We are to remind them of of how they've been blessed. We are to love and encourage and comfort them. And now we see the marks of spiritual unity. Paul, in verse two, uh, lays out three marks in which the church are to be unified. And we will observe these three marks and three sub points. And the first mark of spiritual unity is a common perspective. The first mark of spiritual unity is a common perspective. Paul says in verse two, complete my joy and hear this by being of the same mind. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Saints, we are to be of the same mind. Now, this does not mean that we should submit to brainwashing or agree with everything others think of. There are various opinions in here. We aren't to think that. Uh, nor does it mean that we should let others do our thinking for us. But like-mindedness is not about uniformity of thought, saints. It's about unity of purpose. Let me remind you, it's not like mindedness is not about uniformity of thought. It's not about every person having the same thought, but it's about being united in purpose, united in goals. We are to be united in mind by having the same purpose and the same goal, which is what? Which is to glorify God and help edify others. That is our purpose to glorify God and to help others glorify him. First Peter three, eight through nine, he Peter says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or uh, reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless for those uh, for to those for this uh, you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Paul says in first Corinthians one ten, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That all of you agree and that there will be no divisions among you, but you will be united in the same mind and the same judgment. We are charged by by Peter and Paul that Christians are to have the same mind if we want, if we desire Christian unity. But we have to ask, why should we strive to have the same goal in mind? Why should we strive? Why can't we just all have different goals in mind? Because a church cannot stand together when there is competing visions, philosophies, and agendas. In order for a church to, to operate, to glorify God the way God has prescribed for the church to glorify him, there can't be competing philosophies, visions, and agendas. In a united church, there, there must be a common perspective. We all must know where we are looking at, where direction we are going. We are to have the same direction. We are not to be divided in the essential truths of the Christian faith. There are some things that we can be divided on, but on the essential truths, we are to, to, to not be divided on. We are to all confess the essential truths of the Christian faith. And we must not, uh, must not be divided in helping others live the Christian life to the glory of God. Those are two things that we are not to be divided on the essential truth of the Christian faith, and helping others glorify Christ. We are to help others in their walk. 
Second sub point, the second mark of the of Christian unity is a common practice. So we have a common perspective, now a common practice. Again, verse two, complete my joy by being the same mind. And here's the common practice, having the same love, having the same love. Not only are we to have the same mind, but the same love. John Calvin uh, says at this point, the beginning of love is harmony of views. But not that um, but that is not sufficient unless men's hearts are at the same time joined together in mutual affection. And what he means by this, we can't have a harmony of views without first having a harmony of love for one another. We can't have a harmony of views. We can't have the same purpose in mind if we don't have the same love for one another. Again, again, uh, attitude precedes action. Attitude precedes action. A common love precedes a common mind. If we don't have a common love toward one another, then it would be impossible for us to luck out for one another with a common mind. If I don't have a common love for my brother, then how can I best look out for my brother? It it just wouldn't make any sense. My motivation wouldn't be as strong. Now, you might ask. How can we love everyone the same? I get that we can have the same uh, perspective, the same goal, the end goal. But how can we love everyone the same? There are some in here, and I'm sure that uh, you can attest to this, that uh, you love this person more than you love this person. You love talking to this person more than you love talking to this person. All of us are there. And saints, when you ask those questions or if you are thinking that, it reveals that you must not or you have not arrived at a full and complete doctrine of the Christian love, of what it means for a Christian to love. You simply don't know what Christian love is all about. Christian love is not about positive feelings and strong emotion or that warm, fuzzy feeling inside. Christian love is about how we treat one another in spite of how you feel. That's Christian love, treating others in spite of. Treating others in spite of how you feel, how you think about them, uh, and all of those, all of those things. It's about asking those whom you can't stand, how are you doing? And, and being really concerned about it. How are you doing? It's about showing outwardly what should inwardly already be possessed. A common love, a common heart posture, a right heart posture toward uh, Christ's elect. An internal genuine love toward others is the basis for how we externally treat them. An internal genuine love toward others is the basis for how we externally treat them. In marriage, you don't vow to love your mate as long as you feel in love with them. That's not what you do. And that's not what you say. You vow to love your mate for better or for worse, for richer, for power, for in sickness and in health. And in a real sense, saints, Our love for one another as brothers and sisters of Christ ought to be the same way. I'm not going to love you if I feel like I love you, but I'm going to love you regardless because Christ loves you. And since Christ loves you, then I love you. First Corinthians 13, seven, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Saints, in order for us to have the same mind, we must have a common love for one another. And lastly, the third mark of Christian unity is a common passion, a common passion. Again, verse two, complete my joy by being the same mind, uh, being of the same mind, having the same love, 
being in full accord and of one mind. The call to unity is also is a call to be in full accord, which translates in the Greek a term that means to be joined or united in soul. It is to be united in soul. Literally, it is to be one soul. So we are to have one mind, one heart, and one soul. This speaks of a common passion the church of Christ should have. To be in full accord is to conduct yourself toward one another as if uh, one person, as if you and that one person were sharing the same heart, the same mind, and the same soul. Having the same love. Speaking speaks of how we treat one another, but being in full accord speaks of how we feel about one another. We are to come alongside each other and feel each other's pain. When I heard the news last night of of Lucy's father passing, my heart broke for her. I hope, saints, that your heart breaks for her father passing. I hope that you mourn with those who mourn, who are of the faith. We are to feel each other's hurts. When one is hurting in the congregation, we all should hurt. We are to feel each other's joys. And when one gets a new job, when, when one uh, is pregnant, when one is getting, about to get married, we should be joyous with them. We are to feel the weight of each other's burdens. Brother, I'm going, to say, I'm going with you. You are not walking this thing alone. But I am walking strive for strive with you. That is what it means, saints, to be in full accord. To have one soul to, 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 to fill each other's pains, burdens, joys. When one member of the church hurts saints, we are to, oh, we are to, to all hurt with them. When, when one member has joy, we are to all be joyous with them. One soul we are to strive for. And saints, these are the marks of Christian unity. And I ask you, or as we close this point, uh, my question to you is, where do you stand in these marks? Where do you stand in a common love, a common mind, and a common passion with your fellow saint? And if you say, well, I'm right there, then you're lying to yourself because none of us are there. None of us have reached that point where we're comfortable with, 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 with loving others the way they ought to be loved, the way Christ loved them. With that common mind of, of wanting the best for them, to, for them to glorify Christ in all things, and a common uh, passion feeling each other's burdens. When was the last time you asked uh, your brother of the faith, the one that's next to you, how are you doing? What can I pray with you with? How, how has your walk been? How has your prayer life been and your reading life? How has that been? You know, what, stri- what, what struggles are you going through? What sins are you going through? And saints, it's okay to confess to those your sins. That's a good thing. In fact, it's a bad thing if you don't confess your sins to those who, who, who you trust. Those who you know won't go on Facebook and Twitter and, and tweet out all of your business. It's a good thing. The Bible gives us good warrant to do such things. We are to be Christians who are willing to embarrass ourselves. If you are not willing to embarrass yourselves, then, then I wonder if you are even of the faith. We need those who, who, who will come alongside of us and who will put those headlights on for us and tell us that, hey, there's a, there's a, there's a stop sign coming up. There's a, there's a red light. There's a yellow light. You need to slow down. We need that, saints. And the way it starts is by, is by having a common mind, a common love, and a common perspective. So that's how I look at the last point, and that is the means of spiritual unity. The means of spiritual unity. We've seen the mark, and now let's look at the means of spiritual unity. 
how do we accomplish those marks that we spoke of in point two? How do we do this? How do we love with a common mind, a common love, uh, and a common perspective, a common passion? How do we do those things? Uh, What are the means by which we are to cultivate and maintain Christian unity? And look at verses 3 through 5, if you will. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That is how we cultivate this, this unity. That is how we maintain this one mind, one love, and one passion. And we'll examine these in three points. And the first subpoint we see in verse 3 is we are to humble ourselves. We are to humble ourselves. Again, verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. There are times, saints, when a preacher reads a, a, a verse that doesn't need any explanation, that doesn't need any exegesis, that doesn't need any uh, elaboration. But it's crystal clear that we are to do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's crystal clear. After condemning pride, Paul commends humility. We as Christians are to have a lowliness of mind. Paul says in Romans 12, 3, for by grace given to me or for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with a sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. One theologian has said humility is that grace or humility is that grace that when you have it, you have lost it. Humility is that great. Or is that grace? Uh, when you have it, you have lost it. And what he means by that is when you acknowledge that you are humble, you are not humble. That is why that question I proposed to you was interesting. Uh, are you a humble? Uh, are you a humble Christian? Are you a, a humble person? And if you say yes, then are you truly humble? That quote is correct. You can't be proud that you are humble. You can't be proud that you are humble for when you begin to recognize your humility, then it becomes pride. And in order for us to have a Christian unity, you must kill our pride and remain in a state of humility. John Calvin says uh, these are the two most dangerous pests for disturbing the peace of the church, strife and vainglory, strife and vainglory. So how is humility demonstrated? How do we demonstrate this humility, saints? Verse 3 tells us, Unity happens when we treat everyone else as if they were more important than we are. Saints, that is a true definition of humility. That we are not to simply treat others the way that we want to be treated, but we are to treat others far better than we treat ourselves. That's humility. We are to do nothing from selfish gain. We are to do nothing from selfish ambition. We are not to seek the pride or the praise of men. We aren't to have the mind of the world. We are to have a mind of Christ. Take off your, the, the mind of the world and, and how the world thinks of humility, which they think is a sign of weakness. Saints, we are to have the mind of Christ. We as Christians aren't to think so highly of ourselves, but we are to consider ourselves low. 
and not think in high regard and think of high regard for others. We are to bring ourselves low and bring others high. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. You see, friends, the world would laugh and mock at Paul's statement here. The world would laugh and mock at this statement. Because the world says, do whatever you need to do in society. In order for you to advance in the corporation uh, and, and friendships and all these other things, you are to be cutthroat. You are to do whatever it takes, regardless of how you feel about others. The world indeed are following the one whom they are united to. That first man, Adam. Remember, if you think back in the garden, Adam in the garden was ambitious. But Adam was also selfish. Adam desired to move up in the totem pole. He wanted to be like God. And when the opportunity arose for Adam to leave his 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 finite state and graduate to divinity, Adam seized the moment. Adam set the pattern. For all those who choose to live a life selflessly for themselves. Saints, if you are a selfish person, then you are following the pattern of Adam and not Christ. And here the Apostle Paul is exhorting uh, the Philippian Christians as well as us that we are not to live the way the world lives and then confess Christ at the same time. We aren't to dress or, or I should say look like the world in attitude. And then with our mouths, we are to confess Christ. That's, we aren't to act that way. That's not how Christians are conduct themselves in the world. If we truly confess Christ with our mouths, saints, we are to follow Christ's examples and how he lived. We can't amen the hum- humility of Christ on Sunday and then selfishly glorify ourselves on Monday. We can't do that. God forbid that we do do that. We are to remain humble. We are to be marked with great humility. John, uh, John Gill says this grace of humility is an excellent ornament to a Christian. Saints, do you possess that excellent ornament? And in order for the church to be united, we are to count others more significant than ourselves. Second song point, uh, we are to move beyond our personal agenda. Move beyond our personal agenda. Verse four, uh, each, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, this text doesn't mean that we are to cease from looking out from ourselves, looking out for ourselves, uh, but uh, and, 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 and primary focus on looking out for others. You are to look out for yourself, saints. You are to to take care of yourselves and and, and primarily not focus on others. But what Paul is saying here is the same attention that you give to yourself, you are to give to others. The same attention that you give to yourself, you are to give to others. The same attention you give to yourself, you are to give to others. Galatians 6, 2, uh, Paul says, bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. James McGovery Boyce, commenting on this verse, who makes a wonderful insight. He says, the unbeliever naturally puts himself first, others second, and God last. And he may think that, his, that he merits uh, this order. The Bible teaches that we should reverse the series. God is to be first, others must be second, and we must come last. The world says, again, that uh, me first, others second, God last. Saints, the Bible says, God first, others second, me last. 
How is this to be achieved, saints? Uh, how do we how do we treat others more significant? How do we how do we uh, look after their interests the same way we look out for our own interests? Well, simple things you can do is you can call one another. You can text one another. You can you can invite others to lunch and dinner and to breakfast. When you converse with one another, uh, don't stop asking questions about their lives. But when you speak to them, saints, speak to them and look into their eyes. So often do I, 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 I speak to people and, and when I speak to them, they're, they're looking here, they're looking there, they're looking down, they're looking up. Don't be that way. Speak, speak, speak to them in their eyes. Look at them directly. Show that, they, that, that you have their full attention. And don't be one who, who, is, who is quick at the mouth, who is ready to, 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 to say their side of the story. But be a patient listener. Be a slow speaker. Saints, I found so often that people are so impatient when it comes to listening. They want to get what they have to say out. They want to say what they have to say. Saints, we aren't to be that way. And the last sub point, follow the example of Christ. This is all climaxing. Uh, the reason why Paul is exhorting these men, uh, these Christians, to do all of these things is because Christ has done all these things. We are to follow the model and example of our Savior. Verse 5, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is what we find in the uh, this is what we find in the practical exhortations of verses three through five. Verse three, Paul calls for lowliness of mind and exhorts us to regard others as worthy of treatment. Verse four bids us to come or to move beyond our personal agendas and to be concerned about others uh, and their needs and their desires and their wants and perspectives. And verse five instructs us to adopt a Christ like mindset toward God self and others. This is all climaxing to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why should we have a lowliness of mind? Because Christ had a lowliness of mind. Look at uh, verse six and seven of the same chapter, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Christ, who is the eternal son, who is the king of kings, took to the form of a servant. He had the lowliness of mind. And if Christ had the lowliness of mind, then we are to have a lowliness of mind. Our Christ condescended from such a high place down to such a low place, a place of servanthood, a place of death. And saints, although we can't condescend the way the eternal son did, we can't come from such a high place down to such a low place. We are uh, to ask ourselves and we are to examine ourselves and how often do we try from our state of lowliness elevate ourselves to where Christ is Christ condescended from high to low how often do we try to go from low to high we aren't to act that way we are to remain in a state of lowliness saints we are to daily suppress our natural inclination to exalt ourselves we are to do that at all costs. We are to daily remind ourselves of the word of Christ in Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The world are trying their best to inherit the earth by, by money, by political power, by all of these things. 
but they will fall short. Those who are meek and those who are in Christ will be the ones who inherit the earth. In our humility, we are to be the peacemakers. And saints, humble people are the ones who strive for peace. Humble people don't hold grudges or kill their brothers or sister with their words. Husbands, you are to be humble shepherds. You are to be humble shepherds. You are to be the first to say, I'm sorry. You are to be the first to say, I'm sorry. And wise, you are to be humble submitters to your husbands. You should be the first to tear down your pride. The husband should be the first to say, I'm sorry. And the wife is to be the first to tear down her pride. As Christians, we are to show the world who we are in Christ and who our Christ is. We are to strive to be like him. And why should we put others' interests before our own? Because Christ did that for us. Verse 8 of the same chapter, in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why should we put our interests above others? Because Christ put our interests above his own. Our Lord was obedient to the Father's will. He didn't look at his own selfish gain, but died so his people can have peace with God. To the very end, Christ, the eternal son, did the will of his father and he finished the race. He put others before him and he is exalted and given a name that is above every name. Saints, we are to strive for unity. And the way we do that, the means that that Christ has given to us is to be humble And I don't want you to leave here and think, well, okay, I need to have a common love, a common mind, a common perspective, a common passion for all of my or for my fellow brother and sister of the faith. I need to do those things. Saints, you can't do those things in and of yourself. You can't do those things in and of yourself. You are to rely on the Holy Spirit. Pray that the Holy Spirit will help you conform to those things in which Christ has commanded you to conform to. Pray that the Holy Spirit will help you love, will help you encourage, help you comfort those, help you have the same passion, help you be humble, help you remain in the state of lowliness. We are to pray that, saints, for without the Holy Spirit, without God's help, we cannot do any of those things in and of ourselves. Let's pray.